0: Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And the title of my message today is Fire Emoji. Fire Emoji. Um, how many of you, you're big fans of the emoji, right? You love using emojis. Has anyone, like, you've gotten to a place where you're almost sending more emojis than actual text now, and you're just assuming, like, they, they get what that means. They understand what I'm trying to say. I always love it when I text someone something that's, like, this big, long, where you're really trying to express something, or you're asking them a series of questions, and, um, you know, it's the text where it's, like, a two-scroller, you know what I mean? You got to go through it a couple times, and um, you're expecting an, an, an equally, beefy response, and they just reply with a single emoji. And you're just like, I don't know that that answers the five questions I submitted to you. And I don't know, whatever. And then you feel stupid. Like you're like, am I should I know what this is supposed to be? I don't know, right? Um, I did some research this last week and actually discovered that the you may already know this, but the fire emoji is one of the top 10 most used emojis worldwide. That's insane. It's also crazy to think about the fact that somewhere someone is tracking everything we send on our phones that's a little bit creepy um some of you are wondering like what are the other 10 and i'm not going to tell you because i'm not going to do all your research for you. you need something to google this afternoon uh, while you are wasting away the rest of your sunday but like um you know I, it's it's everywhere and uh, i hear it in not just uh, emoji but I, I hear it in the way that like my kids talk because to them everything is fire they're just like that's fire bro And I'm like, that's not your bro, that's your mom. Okay, so don't (laughs) say that to her. You're on fire. This place is fire. And I like it. I get it. You know what I mean? I think it's this great, like, uplifting, you know, awesome communication device, but I feel like it's getting out of hand, right? Where it's like everything can't be fire. You know what I mean? Those kittens are straight fire, bro. It's a kitten. I don't know. It's more cuddly, you know what I mean? Don't, please don't set these kittens on fire. I'm not really sure what you're saying anymore. I don't know what to do with this. These, these little, like, cucumber finger sandwiches, fire! <laughs> not really. No, just little, very tame, actually. <laughs> I gotta tell you guys, that colonoscopy was fire. <laughs> now, that one... I don't know. I mean, it could, that could mean a few different things. That one you're going to want to unpack a little bit, right? What do we mean by this, right? When somebody sends this emoji, we say these, something is fire. Like, what do we mean? Uh, typically what we mean is that something is elevated. Uh, something is extreme. Something is exciting, inspiring, passionate, in the zone, high level, hot. It could mean a few of these things. It could mean some of these things in combination. It could just mean one of these things. Um, but it's something in this realm. And I, I think, you know, for this reason, this image of spirit, probably makes more intuitive sense to us than maybe any of the other ones because it's it's the the only one that we really still throw around as a consistent metaphor to communicate ourselves in our day and age like nobody's really ag- as aggressively throwing around these other three emojis for things right no one is 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 saying things like bro those tacos are doves man those are because that's confusing right you're like I- Wait, is this literally made of doves? Like now I feel, I don't like that. I don't like not knowing what it is. is no, you're saying that they're, okay, they're going to lead me somewhere. That's what you're saying. I appreciate that, but it's still, it feels a little bit, I don't know. Did you hear that lecture? It was straight clouds, man. That was clouds. Dude, what you just said is clouds, man. Mysterious, confusing, but like somehow of God, like I don't, it doesn't make, you know, that fedora, man, that is straight breath and nobody needs a fedora like they need breath. And so we know that that one's not even accurate. (laughs) Nobody's throwing these around. And so when we see like fire, we think this idea of fire, we probably tend to define it um, maybe anciently like we would modernly, right? We would we would assume that it means the same sort of uh, things that I just gave you in terms of a definition of what the emoji means now. But just because something means something to us today doesn't mean that that's what it meant back then. And so we really have to like dig in a little bit, as with all of these images, to try and figure out like what does it actually mean deep down? What did it mean to the authors? who wrote this and put this in this context, because I gotta tell you, the image of the Holy Spirit as fire is probably the most used image for the Holy Spirit. So it's one we don't wanna guess at. We don't wanna copy and paste what we understand about um, metaphors now on the past. We wanna get to what this thing meant to them then so we can understand what it means to us now. And I think a great place to start is like one of the most quintessential passages uh, that talks about or speaks about the Holy Spirit happens in the book of Acts, the the second chapter. And um, it is an image of the Holy Spirit appearing and connecting and communicating with a group of people. Um, through the image of fire. And um, in fact, this is so predominant and like that some of you that know the Bible really well are like, why didn't we start with this one? It's because I like to save the best for last. And so um, uh, Acts chapter two, um, starting in verse one, I wanna just read this to you, make some observations. It says this, that on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place and suddenly there was a sound From heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then, what looked like flames of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as this Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, and when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. Now, this is a trippy story, right? Another reason why I saved it for last. Like, there's a lot going on here, okay? Uh, Essentially, what has happened is Jesus has been crucified, and then he raised from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven, and he told them to go pray for this like helper, this messenger that was going to help them carry on his work. And so they all go, they gather in this room, they're praying for like this mysterious messenger. They're huddled together, they're kind of nervous and they're essentially hiding really because they're scared. They're scared that maybe what happened to Jesus is gonna happen to them. They're intimidated, they feel sort of lost. They're not really sure what to do or where to go from here. And in this moment as they're praying, this giant windstorm whips through this room where they're all sitting praying and all these little fire emojis appear above their heads and then they start like sharing their faith with people they don't know in languages they don't typically speak. That's pretty unbelievable. This is incredibly profound. And I think it's even more profound when you realize that this is not sort of a one-off incident, that what is happening here in the New Testament is actually a callback to something that took place in the Old Testament that everybody who was there in Jerusalem at the time or heard this story or experienced this story firsthand would have paid attention to. A story in the Old Testament where God sort of appears and connects to and communicates with people in much the same exact way that he does here. I wanna just read this to you. This is found in the book of Exodus. So we're just two books into the Bible. Exodus chapter three, verse two. And it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. And God, uh, they have this conversation and it says in verse 14 that God says to him in the midst of this, go say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. So I don't know if you're catching the connection here, but I want to just draw your attention to this, that like God is revealing himself in this metaphor of fire in both these two scenarios. And immediately after the people who experienced him this way, they, they go from that place and they take a message from God and communicate it to other people. So in the book of Acts, right, you have all these Christians in Acts that, um, you know, they, they're hiding in a room, and they suddenly become bold enough to go communicate uh, about who Jesus is to a bunch of people um, that they don't really know. And then in the Old Testament, Moses has this encounter with God as fire, and he's hiding in a desert, and suddenly he becomes bold enough to talk to people that he doesn't know about who God is. And... Essentially, what we're seeing here is that the Holy Spirit showing up as fire is about God imparting to us a holy confidence that empowers us to boldly communicate on his behalf. In other words, we become consumed with this desire to know and become like and represent God well, so much so that every other priority in our life sort of fades to the background, especially our fear. People in the story of Acts were afraid that they were gonna be killed like Jesus because they're like, we're his followers. We're like the lighter version of what he is, right? Like we're like the water down. He was the real, and people killed him. And now we're like trying to follow him and, and live like he lived. Like they're probably gonna kill us too. They are paranoid. They're nervous. Moses, on the other hand, he's also afraid to go back to Egypt because he didn't really leave on great terms. He was really upset. He knew that, like, God didn't want people to be treated the way they were treated, but he went about trying to solve that problem in the wrong way. And when we do the right thing in the wrong way, it becomes the wrong thing. And he, like, sort of rose up and killed someone, and was just like, you guys shouldn't do that. And then he's like, that's probably not the best thing. I'm going to run away. And so he was running, and he hid as well, and he is paranoid. Paranoid. And yet when the Holy Spirit imparts his fire to these people, suddenly fear loses their hold on them, which is insane. Now, what I want you to understand is that their fear may actually still be there, but what is taking place is that something else has become bigger and louder and more compelling and more motivating than their fear. And that's true confidence. Confidence is not that like you're not afraid anymore confidence is the fact that something rises up and overtakes your fear like think about this just in terms of like like dating running into somebody maybe for some of you it's been a long time right but, um, you know, when you, you saw her across the room and you were so nervous and you were afraid of being rejected and she just seemed out of your league and yet you walked across the room anyway, not because you weren't afraid, but because there was something else that was sort of coming up and overcoming and became more powerful than your fear, right? This desire to not die alone. This is i like, she's so beautiful. I don't wanna live the rest of my life regretting that I didn't just like take my shot, right? And it wasn't that you weren't nervous. It wasn't that you didn't fumble through it. It wasn't that the fear wasn't still there, but the fear was demoted because something else had been prioritized above it. This is what the Spirit does in our lives. And God wants to do the same thing for you that he did for these people in both the Old and New Testament. Because here's the reality. The more you look to and lean on God, the less self-conscious you become. And I think this is the thing that we don't often think about when it comes to the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, Oftentimes what gets between you and doing what God has asked you to do is your own self-consciousness. What are they going to think? Is this going to go well? I don't know. This isn't really what people expect from me. What if they don't respond the way I want them to? I don't know. Ah, I feel like I can't do it. I'm not, it's going to be... It's all this sort of self-focused insecurity, but the more we lean into and the more we look to God, the more that sort of fear-based self-obsession diminishes in our life, and the more our desire to know and pursue and to live like God, the more that comes into focus, the more it's who we become. You start to become so concerned with what God thinks of you that you start caring less about what other people think of you. And this holy confidence overcomes you, and it changes the way that you think and live. By the way, there's something else besides the Spirit of God that like, when um, you are consumed by it, or I should say when you consume a lot of it, you also become very confident, okay? Some of you are pretending like you don't know what I'm talking about, you do. Alcohol, right? (laughs) Alcohol is this thing, I guarantee this is the first time this slide has been on this screen at our church. Similar effect, right? In fact, we have a nickname for it, right? We call it liquid courage, right? That like, if you're nervous to do something and you're afraid and you feel like you can't, it's just like, you know, you should just like just have a couple drinks, you know what I mean? And then walk over there, you know? Like, just just like sort of build up the courage, Right? Like, we have this idea that, that when we become sort of consumed by this, that everything else that's going on will sort of diminish, will become hyper focused, and like boldness will sort of overcome us and push us forward. And I bring this up because people that are watching this scene in the book of Acts, when they see that these people who were afraid and hiding a few moments ago, suddenly, after a weird windstorm, they've been locked in a room and they come out and now they're not afraid. They're not nervous. They're just talking freely and telling people about who God is. They're just like, "Mm, they're probably drunk. (laughs) What were y'all doing in that room? What were all the coolers? Sure, water bottles, I get it. Some of you don't believe me, so I'll just read this straight from scripture. Acts chapter two, verse 13 said this. Others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. In other words, people didn't imagine that they had tongues of fire over their heads. (laughs) That there was a different sort of emoji that was driving these people. They're like, oh, I know what's going on. Like, that's a fire of the Holy Spirit. Like, that's fire water is what that is. (laughs) and this is not a Western, and what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, they they assume that maybe it was just, because that seems natural. And of course, it has to be addressed. So Peter, who's like, you know, becomes one of the leaders of the early church, he feels like he needs to respond to this. I love his response. Acts chapter two, verse 15, he says, these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. (laughs) Of all the things he could have said, that's what he went with. I think about what you like, what, like, when you think of church people, what you think they would have been like, how dare you accuse us of, of drinking and getting drunk? And that he doesn't even go with that route. He's just like, now listen, we're not above drinking. Okay. I just want to make that super clear to everyone. But like, you know, nobody's drinking this much. And acquiring this much confidence in the morning. I mean, I get it if you were just like, you guys seem hungover, you probably drank a little bit last night. Or, you know what I mean? Like, uh, But like, we're not really, this is not the time for that. Something else, a different sort of phenomenon is going on here. We're getting our courage from elsewhere. And it's not courage that is self-focused. It's courage that is actually God-focused, that's others-focused, that's driving these people not to boldly do something that they want for themselves, but to boldly do something that makes the world more like God wants it to be. Peter preaches this sermon about, um, after this explanation about like, how, why he believes that building a relationship and following Jesus is the key to everything, and why if these people do that, it will change their lives as well. And you get this sense from reading through the accounts moving forward in the New Testament that the Christians, their number one priority was connecting with becoming like and telling others about Jesus because they were consumed. Because that's what fire does. It consumes you. In fact, one New Testament writer just bluntly says it this way. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, he just says, our God is a consuming fire. If you've ever been to a bonfire, you know that like, this imagery, like it conjures something up for you, right? If you throw something into a fire and that fire is roaring, it gets absorbed by the fire. Like whatever you threw in the fire disappears and all that's left is fire. This is the main attraction for junior high boys <laughs> and fire, <laughs> right? If you've ever been on a campout with young boys, they're just like, what else could we throw in the fire? which is why you gotta hide all the stuff you don't want them to burn up because they're just like, you throw it in there, it disappears, the fire is all that remains. This is amazing. And they will literally burn everything they have on. They will hike home naked. They don't care. It's mesmerizing. They love watching things be consumed. And this, this symbolism is really trying to communicate an idea to us about the power of God in our lives, specifically the Holy Spirit is fire. It's telling us that the Holy Spirit, when we build a relationship with him, burns up everything in us that is not like God so that all that remains is God. That when we allow the Spirit of God to consume us, all this other stuff focuses, priorities, all this stuff just sort of burns away. One poet in uh, the Old Testament speaks to this metaphor this way. He says in Psalm uh, chapter 66, this is part of the song. He says, he's talking to God. He says, you've tested us, O God, and you've purified us like silver, right? And silver is purified in a fire. In other words, like interactions with the Holy Spirit purify and refine what's in us, right? Our desires, our motives, our intentions. And it also purifies what comes out of us, the way we talk to and interact with and treat other people Um, we find ourselves being less driven by our will and more driven by God's will. This is a mark of the Holy Spirit being involved in our life. Because essentially, when we lean into a relationship with the Holy Spirit and he endows us with his fire, what we discover is that the Holy Spirit is essentially prioritizing and purifying our motives and impassioning and empowering our actions. So God, with his holy fire, as we lean into him and he becomes the priority, it's not that like, we don't have other things that are important. It's not that we aren't nervous. It's not that we don't have fears. It's not that we don't worry about the consequences of something. It's that those things start to sort of shrink back. It's that the things that are driving us to make decisions that are allowing us to organize our priorities are God-based things. It, it purifies the things that we're driven by. And it impassions, it empowers us, it enables us to move forward and do the things that God has called us to do. We catch fire, we become consumed. Our desire to know and reflect Jesus is elevated. It becomes extreme and exciting and inspiring and passionate and high level. And all the distractions that we found ourselves with begin to sort of, um, dry up and, and fall away. And you have this sense that you're empowered to overcome obstacles and push past fear and take action in areas that would have scared you even just moments before, just like Moses, just like the early church. And again, it's not that you become fearless, but that you become so focused on God that you're able to boldly take action because you genuinely believe that you know, God em- empowers us to do what he inspires us to pursue in life. And so you understand that if, if like, you feel like the Spirit of God is pulling you in a direction, um, that you know that God is going to enable you to do that thing that he's calling you to. And it's probably going to require a lot of trust. Which brings up the question, Like, what sort of things does God inspire us to do? And the Bible is not really fuzzy on this. Like, it's very clear that what God wants us to do is to pursue things that lead us to love him more and to love our neighbor as ourself in ways that are sincere and sacrificial. In fact, this word sacrifice comes up again and again in Scripture, especially connected to this image of fire. Because that's how, especially Old Testament or ancient people understood the metaphor of fire, right? Was that they used fire to sacrifice something, to purify something, um, that you used fire to to like communicate that whatever that thing was, that it is. I'm 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 pushing it into the fire, and I'm letting the fire determine what it will become from here. And in the Old Testament, you know, the Holy Spirit is fire. Engulfs all sorts of things. It engulfs the the the, the bush in the desert, right? It engulfs the tabernacle, and engulfs the sacrifice as this fireball falls from heaven. Um, on Mount Carmel or Caramel or however you like to prefer to say that. But in the New Testament, this is where the language changes. And this is what I think is really interesting and fascinating. In the New Testament, we're told over and over again that what the Spirit wants to engulf is you. That the Spirit is not looking to engulf all these other things as a symbol anymore, that the Spirit is looking to engulf you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, there's this idea that I think is so fascinating. Paul is writing and he says, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit is always burning inside of you, leading and guiding and directing you, doing its work on you, giving you unending access to holy confidence and boldness, what you need in order to do and become who God has asked you to be. But you can choose to ignore it or not. And for some of you, what I'm describing, this sort of like passion and excitement, this sort of focus and confidence, you're just like, Yes, I I, I know about that. I've experienced that. I've had moments with God where like I feel like the Spirit of God overtook my life. Like, it wasn't that other things weren't important, but they weren't as important. That, like, God was my main focus, my top priority. And for some of you, you're looking back because that season existed in the past somewhere else. Because the way you connect with and feel about God now doesn't really look like that anymore. Why is that? Why is it that sometimes our connection with God fades or slows or goes out? One Old Testament writer actually warns about this idea. Um, he says it this way in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nineteen. It's it's this this warning. He says, "Don't quench the spirit." That's interesting. That language is fascinating because even in the even in the original uh, Greek that that was written that this was written in, that word "quench" is the same thing it is in our language. It's fire extinguisher language. Right? We quench a fire. We suffocate it. We put it out. And the implication here is that you've got to tend to the fire of God inside you. And this makes sense because the ancient people, um, that this New Testament verse is being written to, these ancient people in the Old Testament, they were, had been given this edict to always keep the fire of this, the Holy Spirit lit and going in the temple. And the book of Leviticus chapter six, verse 13, it's like this book of like rules and regulations for how to pursue God in this ancient culture. It says this, remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. This is like, this is instructions that's given to the priests so that the temple that, that God's spirit occupied, the fire was the representation of that spirit and it had to constantly be fed. And they had to be reminded of this, not because anybody wanted to intentionally quench the, the fire or, like, ignore the presence of or the direction of the Holy Spirit. Like, it wasn't that they were trying to put the fire out. It's just that it would happen. I would imagine that it was like, you're the priest. You're on, it's your duty. You know what I mean? You're on the schedule. And it's your turn to watch the fire. But it's been, like, it's been a long week, you know, And you're sort of like not paying attention, you know, and you're playing a game on your phone and you're distracted and, you know, you start having a conversation. You sort of start to doze off a little bit. Maybe a light breeze comes through and the fire that represents the spirit gets snuffed out. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're exploring and you look around and you realize for the first time that the fire that has always been burning, that you sort of took for granted, has been extinguished would have been especially devastating if you like walked into the other room right or you fell asleep and you have no idea how long the fire's been out but i will tell you this uh, you can quickly observe the implications of its disappearance its absence becomes obvious and isn't this like sort of what happens with us we lose our focus you know, other priorities take God's place. The wind of what's happening in culture sort of whips through and pulls our attention away and begins to put out the fire and distract us from from simply trying to know and be like and reflect Jesus. As a kid, I was I was part of this um, scouting organization, and um, it was called Royal Rangers. I don't know if any of you know about this, but it was like the assemblies of God. It was like their version of like Boy Scouts and we went on these camping excursions and, and one of the first lessons that they would teach us when you're out camping is like, listen, there's two things that are really important when you're camping. You want dry shelter, okay, and you want a, a fire that is constantly going in at your campsite, especially because we would do these camping trips and it's very cold. There's the only thing that could cook our food and keep us warm and, and keep away, like, you know, bears. And, and, of course, the first time they told me that, I was like, whoa, there's bears? This is information I would have liked before I agreed to go on this trip. What are we doing I'm a chubby kid. They're going to go for me first. I sweat. My sweat smells like butter. Like a bear is going to want me. I look like some of you look at me and think like, you look delicious. A bear is going to think that like, I don't want to, we can't, I don't want to be here. And, And so I was very interested in like, what do we do to keep the fire going? So like, I don't die from a bear attack. And one of the things that they would tell us over and over again is like, you don't feed a fire, it dies out. If you don't feed a fire, it dies out. And this was good information because sometimes you wanted the fire going and sometimes you didn't, right? If you wanted to keep the fire going, you had to keep feeding it. And if at the point when you wanted it to go out, when you're ready to move on, um, you had to suffocate it, right? You had to take away its fuel. And I wonder if you've ever been sort of sitting around a campfire or a bonfire or a fire pit at somebody's house and that fire used to be big and roaring and hot. But over time, you sort of watched it burn down. And it was just like this little ember, this little spark that was left, this, this, this little coal that if you blew on it, like it turned red for a second and then went back to black. And you had to make this decision, like, are you gonna let it go out completely? Or are you going to feed it and watch it grow again? And I tell you this because I think like the same principle applies spiritually. And this is my question for you. Like, how are you feeding the fire of God's spirit in your life? Because I wonder if you are wanting this sort of connection with God, if you're wanting this relationship with God, if you are wanting the benefits or the fruit of your relationship with the Holy Spirit, like you're wanting to be driven towards passion, And sacrifice, and you wanted to have your priorities in order. You want the confidence to be the kind of person that God has called you to be. And yet, you are in a moment where you're sort of waiting on God to give you more passion, and He's waiting to see what you're gonna do with the spark He already gave you. Paul gives this advice to one of the first Christians that he's mentoring. He's this young kid, and he's had this really passionate season, but he's gotten discouraged because there's all these other people in his life that are, you know, sort of pouring water on his fire. I, I mean, don't point to them if they're here, but you know what the people I'm talking about that are just like, when you get excited and passionate, like, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to give this, or I'm going to invest this, or I'm going to, like, I'm going to do this thing that God is challenging me to do. They're like, eh, I don't know. And they're like, it feels like they're just pouring water on the fire in your soul. And this kid, Timothy, had this sort of thing, this relationship with the people around him. And he's hoping that, that it'll be a, a, something that God fixes inside of him. And this is what Paul says to him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse six, he says, I, I wanna remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. In other words, what he's saying is, I want you to take action on what God has already told you to do and watch the flame inside you grow. Your job is not to sit back and watch the fire or the passion or the connection that you have with God dwindle and expect that God is going to somehow send a fireball from heaven and reignite that thing. He's like, this, this, this part is, is your job. In, in, in other words, and I want you to hear this today, passion has to be practiced. Because the reality of it is the spark inside you is God's gift to you. But the fire you fan it into, that's your gift to God. And all of us, like Pastor Moses talked about in the Senior Pastor Spotlight this week, have been given a gift by God, have been given a measure of passion, of talent, of excitement, of this ability to serve and care for and prioritize his ways and his will. Loving other people over just simply loving ourselves. But whether or not that spark grows into a fire that begins to consume everything that doesn't look like God and leads you forward to the person you want to become, that depends a lot on you. And I wonder, what is it that God has called you to do He's already asked something of you, but you're resistant to step into it. Because it's something you don't wanna do, something that feels frustrating, and something that you know is gonna cost you. And, and you don't wanna have to do that to make the fire within you grow. Some of you, I'll just, I'll be honest, like you know that God wants you to serve at our campus, that God is inviting you to consistently commit to being a part of um, showing people who Jesus is, either through kids ministry or youth ministry, or set up and tear down through our coffee ministry, through our outreach programs. And you know that God is pushing you in that direction. You just don't want to do it. You don't want to have to commit. You're avoiding what he's asked you to do. Some of you already know that God is, has invited you or asked you to tithe, to give back to him on a consistent basis. He's like, you wanna see some passion ignite in your life? Commit to giving consistently and watch as I become your number one priority. But we're like, I don't really wanna have to rearrange my budget. I don't wanna have to do all that. I got stuff I wanna do. What spark has God placed inside you that he's asking you to tend to? Because you know how you grow passion? You lean into it. I wonder what roadblocks you can't seem to get past, what paths you're afraid to pursue that you know you need to, what what conversations you're nervous to have. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can help you with these things. He can change all this for you. But in order for that to happen, you have got to to grow the small spark of your faith into a full-fledged fire. Fan it fan it. When you show up to church and you worship, you are fanning the flame inside you. When you take notes and seek to apply a message, you are fanning the flame inside you. When you serve other people, you are fanning the flame inside you. These things aren't things that God wants you to do just for him. He wants you to do it because it transforms you. And some of us, we imagine that this thing that God has asked us to do is completely disconnected from the passion that we want to experience from him. And yet you, you have no idea how interconnected everything really is. And if God is pushing you in one direction, it's because he knows that if you do this, it'll push you here. So here's my challenge to you this week. I want you to spend some time um, just thinking about something good that you're convinced that God wants you to do. I'm guessing you probably already know what this thing is. You're just avoiding it. And this week, instead of stalling, instead of waiting on more signs and waiting on more confirmations or confidence or resource, I just wanna encourage you to take one bold step in that direction. Because that's what the New Testament church had to do. It's what Moses had to do. They had to get up from the room and walk outside and start talking. Moses had to get up from the desert and set like his sights on going back to Egypt and start talking. And I wonder what first step you need to take, what little bit of fuel that'll throw on the fire and what that act of obedience will lead you toward. Because with both of these people, their obedience to fan the flame of God within them changed the world. And I wonder if God has a similar mission for you. Would you bow your heads across this room? I'm gonna pray this into your life today that God would enable you to know him in this way. God, as our our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, as we're just focusing our heart, our mind, our spirit on you, I pray that you would reveal your spirit to us in the form of fire, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see the small spark of faith, of trust, of passion that you have placed deep within our heart. And God, I pray that we would notice the fuel that you have placed in our hand, the resources that you've given us in saying, I know it's not all that you wanna put on the fire, but throw it in there the step of faith that you're asking us to take, the act of obedience that you're asking us to commit in order to fuel the fire inside of us. God, I pray that in the midst of our fear that we would experience your passion your excitement, your energy, your priority, your empowerment to step forward and to take a small step towards you and know that the fire that you have placed within us is growing, that it will begin to consume us and empower us to move forward. And that as we change, our families would change, our workplaces would change, the world around us would change as we become consumed with your spirit leading the way that everything within us would scream your will, not mine. Gotta pray that this would be our orientation as we little by little, step by step, act by act, little kindling moment by kindling moment, feed the fire within us and allow it to grow into a bonfire that engulfs our city. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.